And so as we have concluded our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we will actually begin a new series as we explore and journey through the book of Jonah together. And so now, the reading of Scripture. Today's reading is from Jonah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We're in a summer series on the book of Jonah, and up to this point, it has been an action movie. It's been Jonah uh, on a boat, running away from God. God sends a storm onto the sea. Uh, It's a great storm. If you've seen the movie, The Perfect Storm with George Clooney, it's that. It's that kind of storm. Everyone is panicking on the ship. The the sailors are panicking. The captain yells at Jonah. Um, Jonah knows why this storm has come. He realizes why it's come. And through the spray and the wind, he tells the sailors to throw him into the sea. And at first, they res- that's a crazy idea. They resist that idea. Uh, but time goes on, and they become desperate. So they actually do it. They throw Jonah into the sea. And he begins to sink and sink down and down below the waves. And then something changes. The whole mood changes. Uh, you can see that in the text, the way it shifts from, from prose into poetry, the, the movement of the narrative slows, slows down. There's a sudden calm that takes place. Uh, the shift that you see here is like one that happened on a battlefield of World War I. The second battle of the Eeps. Canadian forces are in the trenches. They're surrounded on three sides. And the shells are falling. And grenades and clouds of chlorine gas are rolling over the landscape and his comrades are, are dying before his eyes and in the midst of all the chaos John McRae finds a few moments of rest behind the front trenches and he writes these lines in Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place. 
And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders fields. That's what's happening here in Jonah chapter 2. It's a calm, and everything slows down. The language kind of changes key, and we pass from the language of history into the language of emotion, the language of emotional truth, poetry. And like in Flanders' fields, this voice in Jonah, this, the voice of this poem is a voice from the grave that speaks from the grave. But unlike in Flanders' fields, this voice, this speaker in the grave is raised up to life by the power of God. And we're going to look at two movements in this poem. We're going to look at uh, the first half, the voice of drowning, and the second half, the voice of rescue. But before we do that, I actually want to take a few moments talking about the circumstances that are around this poem. Verse 1 says that Jonah is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, it would not surprise you to hear that there's different opinions about the possibility of this event, right? Um, Historically, Jews... And Christians have, have interpreted this, have read it, uh, that it took place as described here. Uh, today, of course, the secular university and uh, most folks on the street uh, would see this as far-fetched. Now, even Christian readers who believe the Bible, who who, who believe the authority of the Bible that land in different places on how they view this text. So how do we read this? How do we interpret this? And I want to say that the historical view of Jonah fits with a historical view of Jesus' miracles as well. Further, the historical view of Jonah fits with uh, the faith in a God who works miracles, who's able to work miracles. The text says that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish. Uh, A great fish swallowed Jonah. In Hebrew, that's a dag gadol, great fish. The Hebrew fish could mean uh, really any marine animal. Uh, it's, It's not specific. The Mediterranean Sea, we know, is home to some large animals, uh, some large creatures, including the sperm whale and the great white shark. In particular, the great white uh, has such a large throat that it's able to swallow uh, large objects whole. I was curious, so I looked this up. Um, These are some things found inside the stomach of these sharks, car tires, of course, but more, a suit of armor and a crocodile 
And this is morbid, but yes, a whole human body. It's happened. And the miracle here is not so much that, that Jonah was swallowed whole by this creature. The miracle is that Jonah was in this creature for three days and was at the end uh, vomited upon uh, the shore of Palestine alive. Now, this story is, is one place in the Bible where the supernatural takes like front and center and you can't escape it. A lot of the Bible describes people, men and women living in the world as we know it, a world of cause and effect, uh, a world that's observable and we can predict events uh, based on what we observe. A lot of the Bible is described like that. But sometimes in the Bible, God overrides the rules of cause and effect. This happens most often around the climax events in the biblical narrative where uh, God overrides these rules that he's created. And what's interesting to observe further is that a lot of times God uses, uh, he, he uses physical things and works his miracle through them. Think about Jesus, for example, and what do you see in the Gospels? You see that Jesus is conceived in the womb of Mary without a human father. You see, he takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds 5,000. And you see that he dies on a Roman cross and makes atonement for the world. Now, a reasonable person might ask, for example, how can 5,000 people be fed with with loaves and two fish? The answer to that question, uh, I'd fully grant, um, will not satisfy many. But the answer to that question is this. Yes, it is possible because God exists. God made the laws of, of physics they're his laws. God made the laws of nutrition as well. And, if, and, and God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. And if God made the whole universe and everything in it out of nothing, then God is able to feed a crowd in an unusual way. Likewise in Jonah... The laws of the human body, the need for water, the need for oxygen, those are, those are God's laws that he made. And if God wants to preserve Jonah's life in an unusual way, then God can do that. It's not too hard for God to do. God, in this text, God is inviting you to submit your worldview to his power. He's given you a mind to observe and to study the, the things around you and to make, make predictions based on your observation, of, of course, and we do that. We all do that. We depend on that. But at the same time, God is powerful to act in ways that you cannot understand. And it simply goes 
beyond your understanding and you marvel. Now, I want to suggest that that is that worldview submitted to God's power. That is a more human way to live in the world. More human than trying to explain every phenomena that exists. So you use the minds that God gave you. You you do. You observe and predict. But you also make space for your creator to act in ways that you don't understand and cannot explain. And those great acts become occasions to worship, uh, not, not to be embarrassed. Worship. And this story of Jonah points to a God who is able to overcome the will of a rebellious man. He didn't, God did not kill Jonah in the storm. That would be too easy. God instead raises him up from the deep uh, by a miracle of his power and restores him to the mission he's called him on. So with that, let's, let's get into the text then. Uh, let's look at this poem in two parts. First, the voice of drowning. Uh, this begins in verse 3. It says, Jonah prays this. He says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. You might remember the scene in the Disney movie Aladdin. Uh, what was the scene? So Jafar's cronies capture Aladdin and they drag him to a high cliff and they throw him off the cliff with a, a chain around his legs and a, a metal ball attached to the chain. And he plunges uh, into the water and he's struggling and sinking down, sinking down all the way down to the bottom. And that's, that's like uh, this scene. Sometimes people say that drowning is a peaceful way to die, and I, I cannot imagine how that's true. Uh, and in, it's not what we see here. What you read here is, is panic and distress. He says he's cast into the heart of the seas. It's the abyss. It's the deepest part of the sea. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Jonah's at the bottom. He's at the very bottom. And his, his head is tangled in seaweed. This is not peaceful drowning. This is despair drowning. And he says here that he is sunk down to the belly of Sheol. In the Old Testament, Sheol is the place of death, and it's in particular where the wicked stay until the day of judgment. The worst fate was not physical death per se, but rather it is to be abandoned by God in Sheol and separated from God evermore. Now, Jonah uses Sheol as a poetic image. But Jesus Christ himself entered that place. Roman soldiers crucified Jesus. 
like how the sailors tossed Jonah into the sea. But through that human action was God's action. Jonah says, you, God, you cast me into the deep. God cast Jonah into the ocean, and God cast Jesus Christ into the ocean of his judgment. The poem gives us a picture of the distress and anguish that Jesus experienced, sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, all the way down to the roots of the mountains under the sea. The weight of water overhead crushing his body, seaweed wrapped around his head. The water closes like bars over him, double-locked. And at the last, his lungs fill with water. Because Jesus did not almost drown and die, he did drown at the bottom of the ocean, abandoned by God. Before his death, Jesus was speaking to a crowd uh, during his ministry in Galilee. And some people asked for a sign, prove it, they said. Prove it that you're the Christ. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to prove it. And you don't ask me for a sign. The only sign you get is the sign of Jonah. Now we have the full picture here. Look with me at the sign of Jonah. Look at the way that Jesus died. Before or since, is there any sorrow like his sorrow? And not against his will either. This was the Father's plan. God says in his word that the wages of sin is death. And you, I mean you, have earned those wages by your sin. But Jesus agreed to take what you have earned. God cast him into death, into the ocean. Jesus was abandoned under the water and his lungs filled up with God's wrath at the bottom of the sea. And after the sailors tossed Jonah overboard, there was a great calm on the sea, it says. And for us on the boat, after Jesus' suffering and death, there is a great calm. Peace with God. Justice is satisfied. The sailors saw it and they greatly feared God, it says, and they worshipped. And a Roman soldier looked at the lifeless body of Jesus on the cross and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. I say to you, whoever you are, whether you follow Jesus or you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, look at this sign of Jonah. Look at Jesus' death. Consider it. In the words of this poem, consider the anguish that he knew, that he experienced. 
Let this sign sink into your heart so that you confess from the heart like the Roman soldier. He confessed truly this was the Son of God. And for you, what do you say when you look at the way Jesus died? You have a voice that is yours alone, and this is the awesome privilege that is open to you, that you, you honor Jesus in your own voice. What do you say? What do you say as you look at the lifeless body of Jesus upon the cross and as you see the way he died and the suffering he suffered? What do you say? Second, the voice of rescue. This is the second half of the poem that we'll look at, starting in verse 6. From the start of the narrative up to this point, uh, Jonah has been going downward. You see that from the beginning of chapter 1. He goes down to Joppa, the city, to find a ship. He goes down into the ship's hold and he falls asleep. Later on, the sailors throw him into the sea and he sinks down into the water. And he's at the bottom. He's trapped without hope, tangled in the seaweed at the bottom. And at that very place where he cannot sink any lower, he cries out to God these words. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You see, Jonah experienced the power of God to rescue him from death. And that's why this poem is a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving, and there's many of them in the book of Psalms, uh, they typically have a number of elements. They Typically, the, the, the speaker describes a crisis that he's experiencing and describes how he called out for help to the Lord. And what's more, he praises God for the, for the deliverance, for the rescue that came. And he makes vows to sacrifice and give thanks. And all of those elements of a psalm of thanksgiving, all those elements are here in Jonah chapter 2. Now, I was trying to understand this over this past week. Why does Jonah pray a psalm of thanksgiving? He almost drowned, and then he got swallowed whole by a monster. You would expect a psalm, what kind of psalm? A psalm of despair, or a psalm of lament. You'd expect Jonah to confess his sin. God, I ran from you. Forgive me. You, you would expect those things, but there's none of that here. There's... There's only, what, Jonah's in the belly of the great fish and his mind is full, is full of how God rescued him. His mind is full of the, of the peril and, and the near-death experience he experienced. He's in, he was in a watery grave, but the Lord raised him up by a miracle of his power. And Jonah simply praises God for this. Now, how true of the one that this psalm is really about. How fitting. Jesus quoted from many of the prophets 
many of the, of the prophets, the major minor and minor prophets, but he drew a straight line from Jonah to himself. See, Jesus descended to the lowest depths. He descended from heaven to this earth where we are, and he knows what it is to suffer as a human being in the world. He lived for 33 years walking on this earth as a human being. He knows how it feels when the water is rising around your neck. He knows how it feels when the salt water stings your eyes and when you're choking on the waves. He knows how it feels to be sold down the river. He knows how it feels to look at the shoreline, but it is so far and your arms are giving out and he knows how it feels to sink down. He knows how you feel. Whatever grief you feel, whatever sinking you feel, Jesus understands you. You can tell him those things and would you believe that he longs to hear you tell him more than anything else. He longs for you to cry out to him in that way. Jesus knows what it is to suffer, but more, he knows God's saving power. And would you believe he is joyful in that power of salvation? He is, as he prays to God, his mouth is filled with thanksgiving and with praise. And he means for you to bring your, your grief, bring your, your sorrows, bring all of that, bring it to him uh, that he might carry it and might walk with you. And more than that, that he might bring you into his joy, into his resurrection joy. God raised him up from the deep waters and Jesus is not a, he's not a cold savior. He's not a frowning savior or angry master. No, he's a joyful savior. He is victorious and rejoicing and full of praise in the power of his God. And I say to you, look at the sign of Jonah. Look at Jesus' death, but more, look up to his resurrection He loves you. And he was raised up from death that you might walk with him and know him and might join him in his joyful thanksgiving to the Father. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you are the God over all creation. You are the God who made heaven and earth And you made the sea and all that is in it, and you are powerful over it. And Lord, you are powerful over the suffering that we suffer. You are not far off, but you are close at hand. God, grant us to cry out to you. Grant us to cry to you from the waters. And we thank you that we have such a savior as Jesus who knows the waters who knows the deeps and who himself is raised up from the deeps may we 
know him, his fellowship, know his comfort, and know his power in resurrection. Amen.